We'll be looking at page 86 in just a bit, page 86, which is the eighth session. But let me tell you what we have remaining in the weeks of this course and uh, what we'll be doing up through the end of July, or July, January, excuse me. But uh, we have four sessions remaining, including today. And so we will end on the 20th, uh, December 20th, with this series. And then on the 27th and the 3rd of January and the 10th of January, I will take any of you who would like to be part of our newcomers orientation, and uh, we will have a separate area where for those three weeks I'll go through a booklet of material about our church, who we are, where we've come from, and what we believe and what we hope to accomplish in the future. And that's all designed for folks who are looking for a church to give you information to assist you in making that decision. But it does not obligate you to anything. And those that have attended our newcomers in the past can attest that I make good on my word not to hassle you after the newcomers. So you hear it, I lay out uh, who we are, and then at the end of it, I uh, put the ball in your court. If you would like to know more, if you would like to pursue membership with us, then we would love to pursue that with you. But I don't, uh, I don't come after you, and you don't have to feel like you'll be pressured in any way because you will not. But that'll be those three weeks. So if you are a newcomer, somebody looking for a church, and that would help you to learn more about us, then we'd love to have you as part of that. That will be the 27th, the 3rd, and the 10th, last Sunday of, of uh, December, 1st, 2 of January. And then the following two weeks, January 17th and 24th, I will be in India uh, with uh, our missionary Daniel Kumar, so I will miss two Sundays. But on the 31st of January, we will start a new series in this hour, and that series will be titled, You Mean the Bible Teaches That? Question mark, And it's going to th go through what the Bible teaches about major ethical issues that folks have questions about. What does the Bible teach about things like uh, abortion and homosexuality or capital punishment, those kinds of things. We'll spend several weeks going through that together beginning January the 31st, okay? For the weeks that I'm gone or teaching the newcomer's orientation, some of the fellows from our church will be rotating teaching this class, and so you'll enjoy their ministry, and then we'll all come back together that last Sunday of January, okay? So that's where we are, eighth session, page 86 of Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. And as you think about uh, relationships, the truth is that many of the relationships in which all of us are involved were not chosen by us. If you think about many of your relationships, they were not chosen. Obviously, some are, but some are not. And even those that are not often impose obligations on us in that relationship. I didn't choose this particular relationship, but I've still got these obligations in this relationship. I mean, some of these relationships that I didn't choose don't give me an exit strategy. I have to stay in the thing even though I didn't choose it. And so, uh, our obligations to our children. You say, well, you chose to have children. Uh, that's true. But I didn't choose to have this kid. <laughs> I mean, nobody told me that. Right? But once the kid arrives, and they all go through about a week when they're sweet, and after that it's all downhill, they become like us. 
But, you know, you find the challenges that go with that. You start to find the unique personality characteristics that now go with this child. The things we discussed in the very first week of this series, that all of us come into our relationships with nature and nurture and desires, and you start to see that child's nature manifesting itself very early on. And then as that child is nurtured by various influences, you... But also then as time goes on, other influences, you start to see that manifest itself through their natural personality. And it's not all good for any of us, including them, but you're in that. It imposes obligations on you. You didn't choose this particular child. You didn't know what this child would be like, but they're in your life and you have obligations. Or what about children to parents? Yes, we chose to have the children, but the children didn't choose to be had. And so they come into life with a, set of, with a set of parents that they didn't choose. And there are obligations laid upon the children in their relationship with people that they didn't choose to be with in the first place. Honor your father and your mother. Children, obey your parents. You can go down a, a list of these. You, yes, you, you choose your, your spouse. But again, you didn't know he or she was going to be like this. As thorough as you try to be in the engagement dating process, you learn more about each other as as time goes on. And yet God lays an obligation upon you to remain in in this relationship with only, as I understand Scripture, a couple of exceptions to that. Just think about wider relationships. You know, who among us chose where we would be born and thus under what system of government we'd be born? I'm very thankful that I was born in America. And I'm very thankful for America and I'm thankful for our government. But, you know, you can be under a particular administration at any given time that you didn't choose. You may have voted the other way. And now I'm under an administration I didn't choose, but I have obligations toward. I have to pay taxes toward. Further, the Bible lays obligations on me with regard to this government that I may not even have chosen. Honor the king. Pray for kings and all of those that are in authority. Did you all hear that? Honor the one in authority. I'll just say as a a very quick aside, dear brothers and sisters, that if you're under an administration that you did not vote for, you still have the obligation, I still have the obligation to honor the king. And to talk accordingly. And often when we get in political debate, it doesn't happen that way. And we want to be biblical more than we want to be political. Okay? And so I didn't choose that relationship, but it imposes obligations on me. Work. Okay, I choose where I'm going to work. Well, that's because you live in America, and that's because we've lived in an economy that has a, a middle class. Shrinking. Who knows when it might disappear, but most times in human history, there's been no such thing as a a middle class. And so you had no choice about where you would work. You grew up in a particular caste, a particular situation, and that was your lot in life. And so, yeah, sort of we can choose our, our work, but that's diminishing, especially in Michigan, especially in this kind of an economy. I have to take what I can get, right? And so that's going to have relationships and coworkers that go with it. Co-workers that may not have been there when I started the job. They brought new people in. I didn't choose to have this guy come in. Somebody else did. They shouldn't have. This guy's an idiot. 
your church. You can choose your church with its current configuration, but that configuration, if the church is growing, hopefully will change and, and increase over, over time. That's going to include people you didn't choose, obligations toward those people. In fact, in the family of God, in the church, the Bible teaches that we are adopted into those relationships. And so the question then for us is this, friends. Because we have all sorts of relationships that we did not choose, people involved in those that we did not select, and yet there are obligations imposed on us in those relationships, because that's true, every last one of us faces a decision as to whether or not I will run or grow. Will I run from this relationship because it's not to my liking, or will I choose to grow in this relationship because even though I didn't choose it, someone else did? And that someone else is your sovereign God who places us in our circumstances so that we will grow in our relationships not continually run from them. Every one of us faces that. Run or grow. Starts very early on, doesn't it? You know that little kid that you didn't choose that one? You're starting to see their personality start to come out when they do bad things. If you're the mom, then they're manifesting their father's traits <laughs> and vice versa. You know that kid gets to be about one and a half they're playing with their playmates or brothers and sisters, and you see them pouting, and you say, what's wrong? And they say, I don't like Joey. Because Joey didn't do something that I wanted him to, or Joey did something I didn't want him to. I don't like it, so I'm going to run from Joey. I'm not hanging around with Joey anymore. Or kid goes to school. Where are the seats going to be? Who's going to be seated next to whom? High drama with regard to the seating chart. And I got stuck seated by so-and-so. Or who's going to be seated next to whom at lunch? And those kids who start very early grow into parents who do the same kind of thing. And so we parents have the temptation to say, the reason my kid is acting the way he or she is is because of what? What is it? It's not, because of, it's not because of my kid and my kid's own propensities. It's because of that crowd. It's because of that school. It's because of that Sunday school. So we're going to need to change this. I mean, I started running from it when I was little, and now that I'm older, I continue to run from it, and I help my kids to run from it. Now, just as a quick aside, I'm not saying that you should have your kids just hang around with whoever. But the truth of the matter is, in life, our children are going to be with people they didn't choose. And the earlier they learn that, the better. There's a difference between being with and befriending. Our children need to be taught to be very careful about who they befriend. But they also need to learn not to run from everyone that is not desirable to be with. Now hear this, the more intense the relationship, the more that relationship will expose my heart. The closer I am, the closer quarters that I'm working with in an intense situation with people, the more that will tend to expose areas of my heart. That's why relationships in the home tend to be the most difficult. 
it's because I'm in close quarters with those people. Those people see me at all sorts of different situations, at all different types, times of the day, in various circumstances. They see the best and they see the worst of me, and they tend to expose my heart then more thoroughly. And so because we have this tendency, this, this tension, I should say, between running or growing, you have people like those great theologians, super tramp, who say, goodbye, Mary, goodbye, Jane. Feel no sorrow, feel no pain. Try to see your point of view. Hope your dreams will all come true. You know, so it's just about leaving, man. Just go from one to the other. Mary, Jane, whatever your name is. Tried to see your point of view, but it's not working for me. Or that great theologian Paul Simon says there must be 50 ways to leave your lover. Just head out the back, Jack. No need to be coy, Roy. Just drop off the key, Lee, and set yourself free. And on it goes. Just get away from it. Run or grow. It's the dilemma with which all of us are faced. And so we say things like, you know, I'm in this intense relationship, and it just brings out the worst in me. I mean, he or she just pushes my buttons. But everybody else likes me. Everybody else thinks I'm great. So it must be you then. Because you are the only relationship in which I act like this. All the rest of my relationships, people think I'm marvelous. But how about this? How about it's not that you're marvelous, and this person is bad news. How about it is that you like what those people are doing, and you act accordingly? And you don't like what I'm doing, and that exposes something about your heart. And so every time, friends, what we need to be willing to do is take a good, hard look at our own hearts. You've heard me say before, you can change address, but changing your address does not change your heart. And so continuing to run does not achieve the purpose that God has for us in our relationships, which is to grow. Liken it this way. Liken it to trials. Many of you have heard me say a number of times over the years, trials are like this. They're ubiquitous. They're everywhere. They're of all shapes and sizes and forms. The Bible teaches that. And so that at any given time, you're either in a trial, you've recently emerged from a trial, or you're getting ready to go into a trial. So taking the approach that says, you know, I'll start to grow in the Lord, I'll start to move forward spiritually once I get out of this particular trial is probably not the route, best route. Why? Because there'll be another one after that. And another one after that. Instead of saying, I will grow after the trial, what God says is, I want you to grow in the trial. And sometimes the trial is a relationship. So instead of saying, I'll keep running, say, Lord, I want to grow in the relationship that you've given me. Which brings us then to page 86. Middle of page 86 in your notebook. The problem with relationships is that they all take place 
right smack dab in the middle of something. And that something is the story of redemption. God's plan to turn everything in our lives into instruments of Christ-like change and growth. Now, those of you that have been able to be with us for since the beginning of our series know that I pointed out to you that this notebook has as its title page, inside the front cover, the title page is Change in Your Relationships. That's what this notebook is really called. I superimposed relationships a mess worth making, but it's really called Change in Your Relationships. And I pointed out in the very first week that if you're going to continue in this series, then you need to, from the outset, commit yourself to saying, I'm willing to change as God requires. And so now we're in our eighth session, and we're really starting to hone in on the fact that God desires this sort of change, Christ-like change and growth. Now, how can we affect that then? Bottom of page 86, relationships in the middle then of what God is doing. And in the middle of all of our relationships, whatever they be, at school, at work, at home, at church, wherever, there's an already and not yet aspect. It says that in your notebook, already, not yet. And what that means is that certain things have already been given to you and achieved in your life and in the lives of those with whom you have relationship. Some of those things have already happened. Many of them are not yet. And because that's the case, you and the people with whom you have relationship are unfinished products. Already, but not yet. You've got some good stuff going on. There's some growth that's happened and is happening, but there's always the not yet. And because that's the case, there are a number of things that are true about all of our relationships. The first one is listed at the bottom of page 86. And you see it's enumerated number one there. Our relationships will never work according to our plans. Where the people are, where I am, in the midst of this already, not yet, what I need to be, what I am, but what I st- the distance I still need to go, will affect how this relationship moves forward. And so our relationships will never work according to our plans. Why? Because our relationships don't work according to our plans. They're part of God's plan. It means God will take us where we have not planned to go in order to produce in us what we could not achieve on our own. He'll lead us through the hardships of relationships so that our hearts will be revealed, our character strengthened, and we'll become more and more like him. So the first thing that's true about these relationships, all of them, is that they don't work according to our plans. They work according to God's. He chooses them for us for his better purpose. Page 87. A second truth about all our relationships is that they'll never line up with our expectations. Our relationships will never live up to what we have determined they should be. Our expectations often follow closely from our dreams. When it comes to relationships, we dream of unchallenged unity, unfettered romance, unobstructed communication, mutual cooperation, blanket acceptance and respect, shared decisions, intimate friendship, and an absence of conflict. I've got good news for you. There will come a time when that will happen. The bad news is you've got to die to get there. Because it's called heaven. There is no place this side of heaven where that happens. None. No relationship. 
And yet we often go in with those unrealistic expectations. In the middle of that paragraph, our expectations tend to forget that our relationships are being lived out in the middle of that already, not yet. This side of eternity, none of us gets to be with the person of our dreams. None of us is ready to be the person of somebody else's dreams, contrary to what we think about ourselves. The more we mature in Christ, the more we recognize that we are not the person of anybody's dreams. The more we mature, the more we recognize that. Do you know that was the pattern with the great Apostle Paul? If you lay out his letters in chronological order as they were written, you find him making statements about himself. He says, I am the least of the apostles fairly early on. Humble, but really not all that humble. I mean, being an apostle is pretty cool in itself. So saying I'm the least of the apostles, you're still pretty cool. But then a little bit later, you have him saying, I'm the least among God's people. And then later, he gets down to his final letters to Timothy, and he says to Timothy, I am the worst. I am the chief of sinners. As Paul grew, the more he matured, the more he saw he was not the person of anybody's dreams. If that was true of him, it's certainly true of me, and it's true of you as well. And so, friends, that ought to give you pause and give me pause as we continue to point the finger at somebody else and say, you're the reason I act the way I do. Paul would say, you point those fingers back at yourself and seek to be a part of the work that God is looking to accomplish in that relationship. Here's a third thing about all our relationships Bottom of page 87, our relationships will always grapple with some kind of difficulty. I have a book on my shelf on marriage. Here's the title. When Sinners Say I Do. And you see right from the title that this guy's getting it straight. And he's trying to help people get it straight. That you are bringing two sinful people into this relationship. And because of that, in every relationship, whether marriage, work, parent-child, whatever it is, you always have two sinful people. Therefore, there will always be some kind of difficulty. Building relationships is like threading a needle while driving on a bumpy road. No relationship will be completely successful in avoiding the difficulties that are a normal part of life. Sometimes it will be the other person, pride, selfishness, greed, anger, bitterness, impatience. Sometimes It will reflect the reality of a fallen world, racism, persecution, injury, disease, war, mechanical failures, an imperfect government, culture, and economy. And so because of all that, middle of page 88, our relationships always need to improve. No matter how good, even the best of relationship is, room for improvement always exists. And so there's those hardships. That's what makes relationships hard, though. God has a plan and expectation for this. He has often sovereignly placed you in these. You did not choose them, and yet obligation is placed upon you. That makes it hard. That impinges upon us. We're faced with a choice. Do I run or do I grow? If that's not bad enough, it gets worse. And here's the worst part, the bottom of page 88. The hardship of relationships in the middle. The hardships of relationships are not only that they don't ever meet our expectations, follow our plans, or they can be difficult. The hardship includes the fact that God calls each of us to minister. 
to the people God in his wisdom has placed in our lives in the midst of those difficulties. We're called not only to survive and bear with the weaknesses of others, but to actually be used as instruments of grace in their lives. Wow. You go, okay, I was, I was tracking with you. When you said it won't meet my expectations, there'll always be difficulties, all of that. That's all true. We all know that just from observation. But in the midst of all that mess the mess worth making in the midst of all of that, God is telling me that he wants me to minister to this crumb? I mean, he needs help, but not my help. He's driving me nuts. How am I supposed to help him? You are asking for something impossible. And if you're thinking that, then you're thinking the right way. Because the truth of the matter is, naturally speaking, what God requires in those difficult relationships is impossible. There isn't a sinner anywhere, this one included, who can on his or her own carry out what you just read there. Why? Because look at the top of page 89. For this to occur, it requires humility. To live with another sinner in the world of difficulty. It requires gentleness. To be part of what God's doing in someone's life and not get in the way. To be patient. And deal with the sin and weaknesses of those around you. To persevere. So that you don't give in. As change takes time and forgiveness. And it requires forbearance to respond in love. Even when you're being provoked. Look at all those qualities of humility and gentleness and patience and perseverance and forbearance. Do you all know what those are? Those are all qualities that God says throughout the New Testament are supplied by Him and by His Holy Spirit. They are not natural qualities for sinful people. None of them. Humility. Patience. Forbearance. But these are the fruits of the Spirit that God bestows graciously upon those who commit themselves and their relationships to Jesus as King rather than desiring to be the King of those relationships. It goes further on page 89. If I'm going to be used as an instrument in the life of other people, and you've got this whole impossible thing going on from a human standpoint, well, then it means that I need regular encouragement, and you need regular encouragement. Because the stuff that's at the top of page 89 does not come naturally, and it certainly does not come easily. So you need to receive and also to give encouragement regularly as we are engaged in this fight. Every last one of us. It is why you need to be at a place like this regularly. Because we need each other. We have to be encouraged from Scripture. We have to be encouraged in prayer. We have to be encouraged in friendship with one another. Regularly, 
daily, weekly. If you make the choice to remove yourself from the vehicle and vehicles that God has provided in order for you to be able to do what cannot naturally be 